0: Welcome to the Harbour City podcast. We are a church in the East African port city of Durban, South Africa. Get to know us better at harbourcity.co.za or at Harbour city DBN on social media. We are currently going through the book of Galatians and we hope you enjoy this message. Wonderful. Good afternoon. Great to be here. Thank you very much for, for having us and well done for being on a beautiful Sunny, autumn me Durban afternoon or a long weekend. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> and uh, yeah, really, this, this church holds a very special place. I think we have a great affection for Harbor City. Um, we were very aware of the planting of Harbor City out of Red Point some years ago. In fact, very similar time to when we planted 3C Church. And uh, we know Grant and Michelle, and obviously we, we got to know J.A. and Lisa very well. And you guys really have landed with the, the most outstanding couple to lead you. And uh, it really, we track the journey of the city. And um, we, we love the local church. We love our local church, and we love local church in general. And the local church really is underestimated. I think often the, the uh, local church can look average or, you know, just something that's happening. But it's, there's something so supernatural and so powerful. It's such a pillar of truth and in society. And I think if we were to remove the local church, all local churches, big, small, Uh, Denominational independent, if we were to remove local church from society, only then would we realize just how powerful and just how valuable the local church is in society. So it really is great to be here. And uh, I've been asked to speak on this Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. And so, uh, Tabani read the context where, um, and I know that Jamie has been doing this series on the book of Galatians together with you, and you did give me a bit of a a voice note summary, something very intense and very thorough and really excellent, Uh, and then you have to stop my cry and take notes just to, uh, just the summary that that you made of your journey so far. But this particular passage that definitely read the context from chapter two, verses six to ten, really Paul has had his experience, or he was sore, he had his experience of Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, and he's he's gone off and he's spent. I mean, now he's come up to Jerusalem for fifteen days for two weeks, and he's met with James and John and Cephas or Peter. And um, they acknowledge the fact that he feels that he is called to go to the Gentiles in the same way as Peter is called to go to the Jews. And then the parking shot is, they just asked me to remember the poor, which is exactly what I had intended to do. And then Tobiah uh, also read from Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11. And the reason why I asked him to read that is because we know that there's a passage where, where Jesus said, you will always have a poor with you. And he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11. And we must never use the fact that Jesus said that we will always have a poor with us to be a reason now that Jesus said, always be the poor, so they're not my issue. Because if you ever dig deep in Scripture and you do a, a study of poverty, of, of God's heart for the poor and for justice, it is, a, it is a very weighty subject and a very central topic throughout Scripture. In fact, there is something called the Justice and Poverty Bible, which highlights which like 2,000 passages refer, referring to poverty and to justice. So this topic that we're picking up on today is really central to the heart of God and very expressive of who God is. We live in a society of the world that we live in that's got a bias towards the wealth. We love to have newspaper headlines about billionaires, especially Russian billionaires, not nowadays. and cars that, that wealthy people drive, and this is the form of 500 of people in the world are drawn. Order. What I'm not going to do this afternoon or this evening is try to give you the exercises of scripture because that's going to be impossible because we don't have time for that. And I'm also not going to say, take down notes, this is what we are all going to do, one, two, three, now you've got to all take. We're going to grapple with you about what it is to live in South Africa. Where we have just in the last few weeks had the latest World Bank report on inequality, you found out that once again South Africa is rated as the most unequal society in the world. Let that sink in for a moment. We as South Africa are the most unequal society in the world, and I don't say that to put a heavy on us, but we just want to share something from our experience that where we have done some things perhaps well, we've done some things poorly. But we continue to grapple as a couple, as a family, as a church, of how then should we be living as people, as little class citizens in South Africa, in Durban, in a time such as this, when we are such an unequal society. Is that okay? So I'm going to grapple together with you. We in our church are very conversational. And so if you feel that you want to add something, or if you want to ask a question, or if you want to differ, although I hope that you don't, please feel free. Um, I'm not the um, I just want to grab them together with you today about what it is to be a Christian, to live by these standards of God in a society which is so unequal. It can be very confusing. It can lead us towards guilt. It can lead us towards a sense of obligation and confusion. And then sometimes just withdrawal. The problem is so big. It's like, well, that's someone else's problem. So we'll grab them together with you today. I think the first thing to note is that this this scripture from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10 where where they say that um, uh, just remember they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I'd eager to do. That injunction or that imperative is being given to Paul by pillars in the church, James, John, and Peter, who had spent three years with Jesus. So they knew the heart of God. Now, I won't, just on Friday, someone sent me an article. Uh, from uh, some of the people in the first world who reckoned they had an exegesis of the words of jesus and really wanted to show that actually jesus wasn't interested in the poor and i think that's absolute nonsense and just this scripture alone from the founding apostle, disciples who had spent time with jesus they parting comment to paul was remember the poor that didn't come out of out of the clouds that came because they had spent time with jesus they had spent time with god incarnate and they knew that he had a bias and a passion towards the poor and the marginalized. So this is not just a good idea, this is not a political motive, this is not just a modern age, this is something that comes from the very heart of God. In South Africa, we we unfortunately have this reality that the top 10% of personal wealth uh, of of people, sorry, the top 10% of wealth in the world in, in South Africa the top 10% of wealthy people own 86% of Sadatman's wealth. So I didn't say that really well. the top 10% of wealthy people in South Africa own 86% of the wealth. So do the maths. The remaining 90% of Africa's population owns just 14% of personal wealth. Quite a challenge. <clears throat> we were out in Pretoria two years ago and there was a, a bang at one of, one of the One of the leaders that we were with was in banking and and he used this analogy he says we have got a few islands of wealth in South Africa, but we are surrounded by an ocean of poverty. And that ocean is boiling. That's what he said With the end of 2020. We cannot live in this kind of abnormality and inequality and not expect at some point that there's going to be some pushback, which is not pushback on us, and, and I think as we, perhaps as we analyzed the riots from last year, there were many factors, probably six or seven different factors, but certainly one of them would have been that there is poverty. Yes, there was greed and factionism and, 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 but certainly poverty, we can't expect that 90% of the population are going to own 14% of personal wealth and say, that's okay, and everybody pushed back. And so this this injunction uh, of scripture for us to remember the poor is really really important in our context. And what I battle with sometimes in our South African context is I don't know what I should do and what I shouldn't do. If we are to stop at every street corner to give to everyone who asks of us, we want to get to where we want to get to and we'll run out of money by the time we get here, isn't that true? But as a Christian, I find it very difficult to grab past people. And so you're in this constant tension. Does anyone else have the same experience? And unfortunately, in so the Solar can it's not always safe to roll your window down and to hand up money. And sometimes the people the young people, with the children in particular, who are thinking at the robot, their parents are sitting underneath the tree somewhere, sending out their children for one of dangerous and it's abusive. And so we are constantly facing this, this issue of why are the poor poor? Why is that person poor? Is it a result of structural inequality, or is it a result of their own bad choices? They're always to give money to them, are they going to use it for the right thing? Those are that you come to, and I don't think we're going to leave here tonight with a scripture of this is what you do, this is what you don't do. Scripture says that uh, um, that uh, you know, Isaiah says this is the path that I have chosen that you that you share your food with the hungry. Jesus uses the Good Samaritan example to go out and when someone is injured, you pick them up and put them on your donkey or put them in your car and take them and put them in the inn and then offer to need extra money. I mean, if you want to do that for everyone in see and meet, up we wouldn't have a life because the deeds are so great for that matter. Jesus said that those with two tunics say that must give one away. And if someone asks for your coat, then give them your overcoat as well. Give to the one who asks if you do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew 25, when you saw me hungry, did you feed me? When you saw me in prison, did you visit me? When you saw me naked, did you clothe me? So it's, a, it's such a very high standard of what we are required to do for the poor. But we're also called to be wise and discerning, and we about what we can do, and what we can't do. So, as I said, there are some things which we would say that we've attempted, and this is a topic that's very close to our hearts, and there are some things that we've done over the years, we would say, well, maybe that was, that was effective to a point, and other things we think, we overshot the mark, or we undershot the mark, we couldn't have done better. And we continued to grapple. So, as Alan said, we, we we spent some years living in, in Chesterville Township. Um, this was a, a suburban. I'm going to live in a township in 1993, and one world to another, probably 10 kilometres from our family home to the township. And might as well have gotten an aeroplane and flown to the other side of the world. Just a total different world, as you can imagine, from a leafy Westfall suburb to a less than leafy Chesterville Township. And just taste the, the the absolute contrast of worlds. I'm trying to grapple with what, what what was I what was I to have, what should I have in this context, and what, what is for others and what is for me. And and then wrestling through not being under condemnation and guilt, because I don't believe we should be living under condemnation and guilt. We should be living by charity and conviction by the Spirit, not confusion or, or, or like a blanket of guilt over our otherness. And then, like Callum said, although Shashi is in southern Mozambique, we, we, we spent uh, five years living in Mozambique, on and off, with two young kids, just to add to the drama, many bouts of malaria. But we lived in a village. We lived in round huts in a village where we got our water from the water pump. And um, But we fetched it in a land cruiser. We didn't put it on our head. I tried to get Sandy to put it on her head, but it just, it just didn't work. And I couldn't put it on my and, and so we had this constant wrestle of the fact that we knew that they had a home. A Crowding the land cruiser, we were driving to the front where everyone else worked, or, sorry, walked to, and we stood in the queue, but everyone always said, Let Come to the front of the queue and to get yours first. We, we realized that even though we trying to live this life and enter into the pains of, of the poor and the needy, the fact is we remain privileged. But we And there were things that we saw there where we would say, Those people, by World Bank standards, over $1 or $2 a day are poor, we would observe their lives and think, Well, we're rich in other things. And then sometimes, to if you sit and you watch South Africans driving past the wealthy and you sometimes think, well, are the wealthy always as wealthy as we think they are? And are the poor always as bad off as we think they are? And that's not to diminish poverty at all or to romanticize it, but sometimes what masquerades and passes as wealth actually is a whole lot of poverty. It's, it's, it's thin, it's a veneer. It comes with a whole lot of other sacrifices and, and pains and, and, and um, loss in life. Whereas those who are so poor who are often living in a beautiful community and they and, and, and often are healthier and they've got more physical in their lives. Does so that make sense to you? All I'm trying to do is throw out some of that. I don't mean to add confusion on top of confusion, but just to share with you some of our own grappling. We, we live in a house in restfuls, in a heart of restfuls, and, and, and we are what we call it with the past. Now, if we were to give our money, all our money away. And and who's to say how to be student? Even if we have a wealth test in South Africa, unfortunately, government is not always the best at administering. So what do we need to do? How much should we have? How much should we be giving? How much would be enough for us? How much should we be helping other people with? Who should we be helping? How should we be helping? Are those questions that that, that we all ask? Is that a fair reflection? Of the kind of grappling that we have, so there are just a few points that I'd like to throw out here. I think there are about seven points of sound about biblical. Um, when, we, when we think of the poor and our our responsibility to, towards the poor, I think as Christians we are most often default towards relief and aid. How oh, can we help? And I think as a church in general around the world, just from my narrow observation, actually does a great job in what we've There are just so many initiatives taking place all over the world, which if you go to quantify Park, as Matt Bird did, Matt Bird is an author, and he's part the Simmon Foundation, the Simmon Network, which is now Neighbours, they actually put a mighty value to the, 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 the given power of the church in the UK, because at that time was 3 billion pounds a year. And they could take it to government and say, government, this is what we are doing towards the poor. And I think if we were to quantify around the world, I think the Christian church is very, very good at being willing to help. And sometimes we beat ourselves up and we're always falling short and we're always really quick to and we see the gift that they give us and we think, ah, we're always far behind But actually, other Christians are doing things very quietly and privately. So we must not beat ourselves up completely. But we need to go deeper than just relief. We're helping, especially in times of need. So, in these last few years the COVID, you know, we have a COVID relief fund which pays the comes of churches, and a lot of money was being distributed, and so on. But you want to go deeper than relief. Proverbs 29, verse 7, it says, The righteous care about justice for the poor. The Brazilian Catholic Archbishop, Pulitzer Maurer, said, When I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. And when I asked why they have no food, they call me a communist. So we also need to, Christians Christian Duguid, go beyond just trying to plug every need to ask, well, why are the poor poor? And we'll get criticized for that because it often reflects on structural inequality and historical inequality and certain qualities. But we should ask the question, why are the poor poor? And why is it that a minority of people in the world, a minority of people, in America, the left have in such an overwhelming majority of what? So we need to be those who not only really are here to do in terms of desperation or relief or aid, which I believe we should do, but if you also need to go towards the root of things and ask why are the poor poor? He that says, and the word says, love and that your neighbour as yourself. That's not just about going across and giving a hand to your neighbour you love your neighbor as yourself, if you had no water, what would you like someone to do for you? And if you only had access to inferior education, what would you like someone to do for you? So if we've got to love others as ourselves, we need to ask what we'd love others to do for us if we were in that situation. That's a very good understanding, to love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe that this matter of of, of justice to the poor is not just uh, a, a sort of nice add-on to Christianity. I believe it's central to who we are. I believe that God is passionate about us. I, I, I believe God's God relates to the poor. And that when we work towards justice to the poor and we work to help the poor, we're really working together with God in this. And so, we need to be those who are prepared to give and to, to do relief and to do aid, but we also need to be those who are prepared to ask the questions are wow, the poor poor. And that's uncomfortable. And it, it, can answer, it can destabilize our own lives and our own hearts and our own minds, and I don't think that's wrong. Second of all, I would say, we need to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. That we don't do anything for the poor out of guilt, I don't believe that's how God operates. We don't do it out of condemnation, because that's not how God operates. And we don't do it out of any sense of obligation, external obligation. We do it out of a sense of biblical, spiritual obligation, led by the Spirit. Not for political correctness and obviously not to be seen or to be noticed. You know in the world there are noisy givers and there are silent givers. There are public givers and there are private givers. And I think scripture really the emphasis there is on private and on, on genuine giving that is that is that is sincere not to be seen by other people. Would you, would you agree with that? My third point would be that it's small is big. We don't always have to start a big operation. We don't always have to start a big big organization and and, and form an NGO and get a PBO and and, and, and get a whole 100. We wouldn't be led by the script. I'm just saying we seek the anointed thing. We seek that thing that God is saying to us. So some years ago, I was involved in mentoring two young guys from. which say disadvantaged backgrounds and they were both trick. and so during that year i sent aside money i couldn't into a unit trust fund knowing that when they matriculate at the end of the year i'd be able to help them and uh, at the end of the year when the time came to to help um the guys to go to, to, to study further um it got shared in the church and the other people said oh, i'd also like to do something like that let's start a fun and so we started the fund and we formed brochures and we looked at the bank account and we did a whole lot of things and we researched as to where we should be getting and so and the whole thing just became expensive and clumsy and didn't go anywhere. I'm not saying it's all wrong to do that. What I'm saying is God had told me to help those two young men. We hadn't, I, I overshot them off. So what was relatively small was big because it was in obedience. Does that make sense? So if God's put it on your mind to start a verse you fund and to get Section 18 day status, then do it. And to buy and to get broken and do this, then do it. But if God's saying, just I'll not want you to those two people or that one person or whatever it might be, then just do what God has told you to do. You live in a world. Church that is saved by the prosperity gospel, I believe. Don't know where knowing, knowing Grant and, and knowing Jamie, I don't think they're going to be over enamored with the prosperity gospel, but we live in a world where the church has become so hand-in-plug with capitalism, with consumerism, with individualism, and convenience. And the prosperity gospel, I, I believe God wants us to, to prosper. I believe He wants to protect us and He wants to provide for us, but I think the prosperity gospel is just taking that kingdom way over the other, and the poor, that's the prosperity gospel. But it, it, it seeks to instant and it seeks to quick wealth. I don't think that's how, I don't think that's how God requires us desire desires to build wealth, systematically over time, through diligence, through hard work, through, through saving, through giving, through investing. I think God is very practical in the way that He desires for us to create wealth. And our own not the multi generational wealth that we need wealth for our own children. And the prosperity gospel gives the sense that God is the stock machine. You put in a token and you get something out. And faith becomes like a commodity, it becomes like a currency by which we trade with God. We forbid to get that thing which we want, which is always materialistic. So I think we really are up against the prosperity gospel. And, and um, it has a great appeal and a great appeal amongst the poor. And I really personally believe, forgive me, I'm overstepping the mark, but it's already a conversion of the gospel. It's wrapped in layers of culture. It's wrapped, it wrapped in layers of consumerism and materialism. And it is not what I believe the gospel is about. It's a form of absolute of of Westernism which is created to the church. I'd like to suggest that in our, in our seeking to, to help the poor, the way possible and where you are led by the Spirit, we should seek to invest in individuals. Long-term, constructive and personal. Where we can invest is just quick handouts, quick and easy handouts. Where we can identify individuals and to invest in them long-term and find out what they want or what they need. So often, we fall into the track of thinking we have the answer, when we don't even know the question. And, and I'd like to, to venture even to say that I believe um, that education and entrepreneurship and employment are such powerful places where we can seek to invest. We've got to be so so um, aware of developing dependency between those who have and those who don't uh, The wealthy um, have something of a, of a savior mentality. They can be patronizing you, they can diminish the value of the person who's receiving. And you have this unequal power relation where, where the wealthy person or the giver has power over the person who's just saying thank you. And you say yes to anything, yes thank you, would you like to do this? Yes, I'd like to do that. And just because there's an unequal power relationship between the person who's giving and the person who's receiving. And I'd like to suggest that, that that isn't the path that you should be working toward. You should be looking to, to know individuals or groups of people and to find out what needs are and what dreams and desires there are. Obviously there's times when it's extreme, it's emergency, and people just need a load of bread or they need some food, but we really want to build a legacy of effectiveness and I think we should perhaps be looking to invest in individuals or in processes where we get to know people and um, we are constructive and we invest long-term to see fruit, not just cooking, shooting all over the place. Does that make sense? And we do need to be aware of, of not perpetuating the tendency between those who have and those who don't have. Because the very process of, of giving and helping can be can be um, unhelpful in the process and creates um, an unequal power relationship. As far as, as possible, I think you should try and make it personal and holistic. Not to be anonymous and personal, but to be able to talk to engage and to ask questions and to be interested in the wholeness. The scripture that really influenced me before going to live in was from Ezekiel chapter two. Ezekiel chapter two, verse nine, it says, the prophet Ezekiel took the scroll, and he eats the scroll, and it says, the scroll was full of mourning lament and woe, and it was bitter. And then in chapter three, verses one to three, again, God says, son of man, eat the scroll, and eat as the the sweetest honey. And I don't think that we can, we can, offer help or be helpful in a situation unless you really understand and have entered into or attempt to understand what it is that people are going through not just doing things remote not helicopter helping but really be prepared to enter into you know, this is going to show that they're a little bit older than most of you, but there was a song back there, back in that era where Steve Camp sang a song where he said, don't tell them that Jesus loved them until you're, you're ready to love them too, until your heart breaks on the problems and the trials that they're going through. And that speaks to entering in and to really seek to understand and to empathize and to be aware of the issues that people are, are facing, not just to to use an old terminology, write a check or, or send something through EFT without actually knowing the individual mm. and engaging and trying so believe is really the Jesus gospel standard. Mm. My closing comments would be these. Open your heart and keep it open. Mm. Ask God what you need to be doing. Ask Him what you need to be doing with your salary. Ask Him what you need to be doing. Listen and be willing to share sacrificially. Sometimes, and I think in South Africa in particular, compassion fatigue gets in It's quite hard work to keep your heart compassionate, in South Africa. And from my experience, uh, I do know if other people have the same experience, the riots last year really caused people's hearts to close people have withdrawn. And, uh, well, that's it, I'm not gonna help anyone. And we can get into a measure of cynicism, and we can close our hearts into what God might be saying because, you know, that's, that's what happened in so I'm gonna stop it. We really need really to work at keeping our hearts soft, keeping our hearts open, maintaining our compassion. We, as a church, meet this morning. Uh, we had an online service, and um, so I went this morning to put up a banner, uh, which basically said, "Not meeting this morning. We are online." And um, I decided to wait for a few minutes just in case anyone didn't get the message. And the security guard was there, and I, I went across and I just chatted to him, and Sam was telling me that he that he lives in, in 10 months. And uh, the money that he earned is a security guard where he works um, 26 out of 30 days in a month, uh, 6 to 6. There's not enough money to, to pay for transport because you need to take two techniques. and so he walks. He leaves home at 2 in the morning to walk to get to work by 6. To finish at 6, to walk to get home at 9. Walking in a pair of old school shoes which are broken. Ah oh, goodness! We've got to make sure that we maintain our compassion. It is far harder Too easy to close our eyes. We're not really more. It's just too easy. We've got to be prepared to ask. God's not going to ask us to ever give more than what we've got. We have to listen to different coverages. But we do need to ask. We need people that are open and soft and, and compassionate and are willing to share sacrificially. I'll end with this quote by Brian Zand in his book, The Unvarnished Gospel. He says this. The truth is that for most of us, economic self-interest is the single greatest obstacle to full participation in the kingdom of God. We cannot love our neighbor as ourselves without being willing to share our wealth. I'll read that again. The truth is that for most of us, economic self-interest is the single greatest obstacle. The full participation in the kingdom of God. We cannot love our neighbor as ourselves without being willing to share our wealth. And so this afternoon, i try to problematize them. As I said, I'm not coming in and saying, this is what you, you must do and you mustn't do. It. You must be led by the Spirit. And, I, and I've been open in saying that we react all this. We've tried certain things, done some things well, done some things poorly, and we are consistently dissatisfied and feel that like we're falling short and what more should we do or how could we do everything? And I don't think that's necessarily a bad place to be. It's just a heart that is open. I'm sure we have failed far more times than we have succeeded. But the desire to do what is right, the desire to be open, the desire to share and to keep our eyes on the floor. Can I, can I pray before I give that to you, can I? We gathered here because we love you and because we know you and because you love us and we know us. In the full weight of scripture, your word to us tells us that you are and reveals to us that you are biased towards the Quran, you command us to help the Quran, to remember the (laughs) Quran. We know we live in a society which is absolutely defined by inequality. And your standard of what we need to do and what you require, what the gospel requires us, is, is very high. You also tell us to be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves, as doves. And so, we submit ourselves to you now. We do not hide ourselves from the poor. We do not hide ourselves from the fact of inequality. for each of us in our own particular circumstances and by our own particular means and whatever exposure we have we open our hearts to be led by your conviction to be led by your holy spirit as to what you require each of us to do or what you would require us as a local church to do in this we we remember the prayer we keep our hearts open we do not allow our hearts to shrink and become cynical we offer ourselves to part of the process of helping them, to doing whatever we can in the most compassionate and dignified way to empower other people in a long-term sustainable way that bears fruit and is effective. We ask, Lord, for you to show us. I ask you, Lord, to show up the sin if there's something, if there's a project, if there's a school, if there's a community, if there's whatever. We're systematically and Together, an effort can be made, or it might be an individual, or it might be families. it might be couples. But Lord, like the injunction that was given to Paul, only remember the poor, which he determined to do, we also want to receive that as an injunction that we remember the poor. We've so in our hearts today, and that is what we want to do. We ask you to show us, to reveal to us, to empower us, and to provide in such a way that we can help others. That whatever it is that we that we have is not only for ourselves, but it's also seed to be sown to the lives of others. And that we resist the spirit of the age, which is enamored with wealth and personal wealth and possessions and materialism. And that we really set our hearts to, to be informed and to be shaped by the gospel, by your word. And they are sow in conflict with each other. We determine today. We repent, Lord, we, we have been taken in by the world, by materialism, by consumerism, by wealth. Say so today, Lord, we're determined to, to follow the ways of Jesus, to follow the way of the gospel, and to seek your wisdom, to, the ability to discern what it is that you require of us at this time and this country. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, thank you so much for that word. I mean I think that's that's quite